Hello, I'm Paul Bristol and I'm working with the Scottish Communities Climate Action Network to find and share stories of community-led climate action. As we live through and continue to cope with the ongoing pandemic, there's been lots of talk around a new normal. For the first time, many of us have started to question what was so normal about how we lived before anyway. And there's an increased interest in the space where climate action meets social justice, a green and just recovery, universal basic income, ideas once out in the fringes, maybe finding their time. The next few months and years, we'll see a battle to frame and tell that story, to make those changes. We need to take this opportunity to show how what we've seen in these last few months can help us imagine better and continue to make the case for action on the climate emergency. And so I want to learn more. Sometimes it maybe feels like everyone's just ploughing their own furrow, out in a limb, just getting on with it. But the collective effort across the country is remarkable. So over the next few months, I'm speaking to people and communities across Scotland to hear their stories of climate action, of hope and change. From big changes to small steps. I want to hear it all. And then together, we can look beyond the new normal to something better. This week, I'm still enjoying my virtual visit to Dunbar. Having heard about sustaining Dunbar's mission and the life and work of John Muir, I'm now meeting some of the projects delivering across the area. Food production has always been an important part of understanding some of the reasons for and impact of the climate emergency. Since the years of austerity and rise of food banks, understanding local areas' relationship with food has changed again. During lockdown, all across the country, community gardens, allotments and growing spaces helped lead the response to helping feed isolated people, both with produce and with food surplus, in part because they already had the established networks and relationships to do so. Many communities are now discussing food resiliency and looking to more directly address the poverty which leaves vulnerable people hungry while so much goes to waste. Dunbar has a number of food-based community initiatives in place, this is Hannah Ewan, who runs the Community Carrot and Sunny Soups. Um, I'm the development officer for the Community Carrot, which trades as the Crunchy Carrot. So it's a greengrocers and whole food shop that's been on the high street for 20 years. And it got bought out by the community in November of 2019. It took about four years um, for the whole process to go through. And now it's owned by close to 600 shareholders, members of the community and uh, some further afield. So um, when we took it on, it's always had a really strong ethical and sustainable remit, but we got the funding for the development officer role to try and um, make sure that we continued that and also to expand it out. I've been doing some projects with the Ridge for a few years, cooking projects, one called the Plenty Project, and also a um, uh, food waste project called Sunny Soups. And I'd started another one as well called Kids Food Journey, which is um, it's a school, primary school activity club. So all of those we wanted to roll over into what the Crunch Carrot was doing, into what the Community Carrot was doing, because um, they made an awful lot of sense that uh, as they were the kind of things that we wanted to be doing um, as part of the kind of Community Carrot remit anyway. So we started those off. We did a kids' food journey. I did a kids' food journey course um, in 
November, I think it was last year, and we had one planned again for the spring. And those those are they, they're trying to tackle um, neophobia in children, which is the idea that kids get terrified about trying new things. Most parents have seen that one happening almost every mealtime. And so it's to try and kind of increase kids familiarity with different foods. So we don't cook very much because it takes place in school classrooms, but we play with food. So we have big tastings and we have um, food games, food activities, cut things up, grow things, try different things, talk about why we like things or don't like things. Um, it's just to try and strip away some of that fear from uh, different foods and try and get kids familiar with a really wide range of foods. So unfortunately, that's about the least socially distanced uh, food activity project possible because it's all about sharing food. So that one can't happen at the moment. But when lockdown kicked in, we um, I wrote up my lesson plans and I shared them with local primary schools for them to use. And they went out to active schools, East Lothian, for them. they shared them out with families. So I'm hoping that some um, kids still managed to do some of those at home and maybe the schools did some of those. Um, but... The main thing that we managed to keep going was Sunny Soups. So Sunny Soups is my, it's a food waste project and it's always been um, primarily a food waste project. Um, but it also it's, it's kind of threefold. First, the food waste thing. And secondly, we make, we make soups and stewed fruit usually, occasionally other meals. And they go into a community freezer, which is usually in the bleaching field centre. And then anyone can go and take that soup uh, at any time that the bleaching field centre is open. So the emphasis is really very much on it as a food waste project because there's, a, there's often a lot of stigma in getting free food. And I wanted to avoid that completely because people are really doing the, the project a favour by taking a pot of soup. Uh, because if they don't take it, then we can't make more. Um, and we also have, we meet up as a group of volunteers once a week to make the, to make the soups. So I collect uh, surplus food, for food from the crunch carrot. And also I was collecting it for a long time from... Um, East Lothian Produce, which is a big kind of farming uh, farming business in East Lothian, and they give me their stuff that doesn't go through the supermarket grader as much as as much as I can handle, really, potatoes and leeks and parsnips, cabbages, sprouts. And then we meet up once a week, and it's a really supportive group. And we we chop and we make soup and we pot it up and we have a chat and we catch up with each other and the, the support network thing was as important as making the food for the people who for me and for the people who come along so we have lots of people who well some people who come along it's the only time they leave the house that week so it's it's really it is really important for them and it that's it's been difficult that we haven't been able to meet up and I'm not quite sure when we'll be able to meet up again because again it's quite hard social distance and also it takes place in the Dunbar Parish Church Hall, which is, um, they, they've been doing the most amazing job during the pandemic. Um, they run the food bank. So there's been a, kind of an enhanced uh, program of food bank activity there and all of the food bank stuff is laid out in the hall. So we, I'm, I'm really hoping that we can start that up as soon as possible, but there's got to be a very clear balance of making sure it's safe to be able to do that. But throughout, uh, so we stopped that in March and we have been making soup throughout. So my home kitchen has been assessed by food hygiene uh, standards guys. And I also have a volunteer who's got a similar situation at home. So he and I have been making soup throughout. And that's it's still that we moved the freezer from the bleaching field centre. We moved it into the food bank, um, the, the church hall, and they've been distributing it 
um, since March, and they continue to do so. Um, we have been able to go back into the um, the kitchen and make it in the kitchen, so it's not it's moved away from my house, which has been great. Um, so there's now three of us. We've got a risk assessment in place, and there's two or three of us that go once a week now to continue making it. Um, and we supplemented that for uh, two two and a half months, two months. With we we um, helped out doing a hot meal service as well, so we're making three course meal most weeks for about between 20 and 40 people. Um, that went out to kind of vulnerable people, people who would struggle to get out to the shops or people who'd been in hospital and just come home, um, mobility issues, etc. There's obviously an important social aspect to food and eating, even if the nature of that shifted during lockdown. So yeah, so I would say as important as the meals being dropped off to people is the fact that they get taken by volunteers. So they would go and speak to people at the same time as dropping them off and I do, I do know that in um, some situations they would be the only people that um, they would be able to speak to that day um, because people are socially isolating, um, shielding and not able to get out. So that was really really important for people and we're, hope, we're probably going to be starting that up again um, at some point in the future. Access to food is the main issue. But then there's also often a confidence issue or lack of experience maybe in how to cook. And this is something else Crunchy Carrot are trying to make easier for people. Um, we're quite aware that quite a lot of people are struggling to cook at the moment and to get the motivation to cook, have the confidence. Some people just don't even know where to start. It's really intimidating. So we want to get really simple bags together, a bit like HelloFresh, but they're going to be, they're going to include a recipe a uh, really simple step-by-step -step recipe guide and also a link to an online kind of a YouTube step-by-step -step video of how to do them. And we, we want to um, to work out how to subsidize them. So some people who might buy them just because they're going to be an easy way to cook for your family would be able to maybe um, add an extra pound on when they buy it, or we could have, we're looking to maybe get people donating for them. So we want to be able to subsidize them, a few of them free, some of them half price, um, to try and encourage and make it make it as simple as possible for people to cook from scratch at home. So that's um, how we're wanting to try and address the cooking classes thing because that's always been quite a major aspect of what I do is teaching people how to cook. Um, we're doing uh, with the new What If Network, the local Good Food Alliance. We've we've done an outdoor cooking class at Bellhaven Community Garden, a fire cooking class, which was fantastic for another family. So at the moment, of course, we can only have two families um, meeting up. So mine's one, and then we get another family involved. And we've got another one of those organized um, for the beginning of November, and then we're going to get one more. So it's gonna be a series of three. The first one we had was, um, I've got a five-year-old, and the family that came had a five-year-old and a three-year-old. So we took them round the community gardens. It was the first time the other family had been to the community garden. And the kids got to pick apples and we pulled up a leek. And we went round and saw all the veg growing. They looked at herbs. And then we made, what did we make? We made um, pumpkin orzo. So we'd been given an amazing crown prince pumpkin from that had just been picked from the garden. They, they chopped that up. I've got kids safety knives so they can kind of safely chop veg without hurting themselves, cutting their fingers. And then we cooked that up with some orzo and we made uh, spiced fire cakes, which we put, we do in little cookie cutters so they come out in little shapes. 
and we made bannocks, cheesy bannocks. So the children got to, they picked the herbs for them. They found, they found rosemary actually on, off their own back. They were asking questions about what the herbs were. And so we, we got, we picked some rosemary, put them in bannocks. Um, they, yeah, they got to mix the cakes up. They got to make the, the bannocks themselves. And then they tried everything. And the other family parents were quite surprised that they did actually, they gave everything a really good go. And they, they did try it and they liked it. And there's, there's something that happens when children make their own food and when they have a hand in picking it and seeing where it comes from they're so much more likely to try things that they wouldn't have given a chance to at home um, and I see that over and over again there's an interesting in it it take they, they take some of the control back which is a really big aspect of children eating and it takes some of the fear away because they take they know what's gone into their food it's not some kind of unknown entity that uh, it, it seems to Children seem to have a much bigger problem trying new things if they aren't confident about what they are. So yeah, that was really good fun. And the next one's going to be um, a Syrian lady's bringing her daughter and she's going to teach me a Syrian dish and I'm going to uh, teach her a British dish and we're going to cook together. So that's going to be more of a skills exchange. I think she's a really good cook, so she's probably going to be teaching me. Um, and then the third one, I'm hoping is going to be another kind of introducing a family to the community garden again. I thought I should probably come clean with Hannah and tell her that I have a really complicated relationship with food. In fact, since just learning the word earlier, neophobic sounds about right. I've been terrified of trying new food since I was about four years old. And since then, I've never eaten meat or chicken or fish. I wondered if there was anything I could do. So common. So I do a lot of this and actually I find children easier than adults and the hardest group um, that I worked for trying to get to try new things and give them a go it was the, the group of the kind of older gents who there's a big problem with um, and not really cooking much when they get older. Perhaps um, wives tend to cook a lot more and then maybe those the wives, um, they, the men move into a caring capacity or wives might die and then the guys don't really have a lot of cooking, a cooking confidence, that's the thing, um, and very potentially very restricted diets. And getting getting older people to try new things is much more difficult than children. Everyone always thinks it's kids, but it's, it's 100% familiarity. So I do, when I did my Plenty Project classes, they, they were four to six sessions. And I would ask people at the beginning to choose something that they hate. So one couple did peanut butter. Some people do um, Marmite. Easy things, something that you can buy, some, a, a bottle, for example, or, you know, and it's going to be cheap. So you're not worried about wasting it. And then every day for a fortnight, take the tiniest amount, try a tiny, tiny amount of that. So I have one guy who loathed peanut butter. By the end of the fortnight, he was voluntarily spreading it on toast. And you just try it repeatedly every day and it does work. And once you've seen it work once or twice, you, you just suddenly have this new confidence that you, you are going to like new things. And it just takes a fear factor. The fact that it's absolutely tiny, the bit that you try is minuscule. It takes the fear factor away because you know it's not big enough to kind of freak out about or get scared about. And with parents as well, having seeing that it works once or twice with their kids gives them so much more confidence to persevere. So yeah, that's that's probably my biggest tip with trying new things is um yeah it's familiar it's just purely about familiarity. 
Try giving that a go. Yeah, I'll try that go. No <laughs> You'll surprise yourself. I'm sure you will. I surprise myself. It's just so contrary to how we think, to how we, to, to everything we believe. Even I do think that there's very few things that I don't like anymore. But those things that I do like, they, you seem certain that they're going, that they're, they're part of your personality almost. That's just, um, that's just the way it is for you. But it doesn't, it doesn't need to be that way. Peanut butter, porridge, and chip rolls definitely do feel like part of my personality. But I'm enthused by Hannah's knowledge. It doesn't have to be this way. During my visit, I'm keen to hear people's thoughts on why it is Dunbar has maybe made more of a change, more of a transition than elsewhere. I think it's, I think it starts with a couple of really enthused individuals who get other people on board and, and then you realise that you can make a difference. I think a lot of people don't realize that if something's not right, you can you can come up with a scheme, you can go off and get funding and you can do something about it, which is really empowering. But also, um, I think probably something that most people don't even realize that is possible. I don't think a lot of people don't realize what is possible. And then once that happens, there's a ripple effect. So people start seeing other people doing these exciting things and making changes to when they when they see something that's frustrating them doing something about it and then they think oh well actually this is really bugging me maybe i can do something about this one and it does there does start to be a ripple effect and before long you've got a couple of people involved and then they start talking to other people and then you get networks and then it's not terrifying for people anymore they don't feel like they're jumping into the unknown because they've got other people to talk to who've already done it and who've made a mistake and who've worked out what not to do it makes it a lot easier for additional change to happen i think we're in that situation with dunbar now which is fantastic i think there's there's an idea that oh actually these things are possible um also we're not doing them we're not doing them alone not doing them by ourselves and everybody there's enough enthusiasm that you don't feel like you're um kind of knocking your head against a brick wall now there's a lot of people who you can speak to who will encourage you and who also seem to think that these are good ideas which is really important this notion of mutual support and belief is coming across loud and clear in all my conversations and there's new ideas innovation and projects happening all the time next we're going to hear from rosie harrison from the east linton repair cafe who kindly recorded this segment for me after our Zoom meeting didn't quite run according to plan. The Fixing for a Future project, a collaboration between Climate Action East Linton and Sustaining Dunbar, was designed with the aim of increasing understanding of climate change in the community, enabling an increase in skills to repair belongings and promoting the circular economy, encouraging an ethos of reducing consumption, waste to landfill and CO2 emissions and creating a more resilient community. The project officially began on the 1st of April, coinciding almost perfectly with the start of lockdown. Our plans for a monthly repair cafe and skills workshops in East Linton Community Hall were scuppered, and having been told by the funders, Climate Challenge Fund, that the project could and should go on, we needed to come up with an alternative plan of action fast. Responding to the sudden changes brought about by COVID-19, and with the aim of providing a forum for people in the community to stay connected, a series of online conversations was designed and delivered in May. 
What Matters Post-COVID-19 consisted of the three topics of consumption, with a focus on food supply chains, use of time, with a focus on the shift to working from home brought about by the pandemic, and nature and environment, specifically an increased awareness and appreciation of nature during lockdown, together with discussion of the parallels that can be drawn between the climate crisis and COVID-19 in terms of the ability and willingness of governments to respond to crisis. Throughout June, Sheena Cars of local Dunbar-based business Seems So took to the screen to provide a series of educational and entertaining sewing classes for people of all ages and abilities. Beginning with the inevitable class on how to make a face mask, even the most inexperienced among us, myself included, were astonished and thrilled to find we could complete this task. Sheena guided us with patience and humour through a further three classes, how to make hairbands from fabric scraps, a rag doll from old clothes and a yoga bag from a trouser leg. Throughout July, a team of eight people from Climate Action East Linton and Sustaining Dunbar embarked on an odyssey to become trained carbon conversation facilitators. This training was originally scheduled to take place over one weekend in person. Online, it took place over four full Saturdays. The team is now qualified and ready to deliver carbon conversations to local community groups. Most recently, in September, we hosted two bike repair cafes at the Mart in East Linton. It was fantastic to finally have an in-person event and for bike mechanics Andy, Mark and Dan to be able to teach basic repair skills to the community, including a number of children from East Linton Primary School. We have a wide range of activities lined up for the autumn-winter months, including another series of sewing workshops from Sheena, addressing issues of hemming, patching and zipping, as well as some inspiring environmentally friendly food storage solutions. We'll be posting regular videos on our website and Facebook, interviews with people from local businesses with a focus on repair, reuse, recycle. We've started an intergenerational toy making project, asking children with the help of parents or grandparents to make traditional toys from things they have lying around the house. We have some regular bloggers, including the Eco Warrior, who writes articles and book reviews on climate change issues, and Brian McClelland, a member of the local community who's keeping a repair and reuse diary and has been submitting posts describing his adventures in DIY. Despite the limitations of lockdown, much has been achieved since April. Obviously, we don't know when we'll be able to host our first real-life repair cafe, but guaranteed it'll be an exciting moment when we do. There's so much that can seem overwhelming about climate change, but it's when we look at projects that focus on food, on fixing things, that I genuinely believe people can see a practical difference, can understand how a change in behaviour benefits them. And it's also a space where people who are maybe out on a limb gain skills and confidence to help themselves and those around them. At a local grassroots level, maybe these projects can do more to change hearts and minds than anything else. So thanks to Hannah Ewan from Community Carrot. You can read more about their work and even invest in some shares at communitycarrot.scot and see pictures of wonderful looking food and produce on their Instagram, communitycarrot underscore Dunbar. And thank you to Rosie Harrison from the East Linton Repair Cafe. You can read more about their project and follow along with those Sewing with Sheena videos on repaircafeeastlinton.org or on the East Linton Repair Cafe Facebook page. Thanks for listening to A Thousand Better Stories from the Scottish Communities Climate Action Network. My virtual visit to Dunbar continues next week in Belhaven Community Garden. If there's something happening in your community, be sure to let us know. You can drop me a line at stories at scottishcommunitiescan.org.uk 
We're on Twitter as well, at ScottCCan, and on Facebook, just search for Scottish Communities Climate Action Network. In the new year, we'll be running workshops to help you tell and share your story of climate action. Check out the website and sign up for our newsletter to keep up to date. We'll finish this week with a song from the community choir Dunbar Sings, performed at the launch of the Community Carrot.